0: friends, this is The Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, and I am here with my husband, Zach, and we are excited to get started on episode 49. We'll be studying Moroni chapters 1 through 9, again, kind of continuing on from episode 48.
1: Yeah, really, we're just in Moroni 7 today.
0: Yeah. So we're going to kind of take Moroni 7 as the main focus of today's episode.
1: If we sound different, it's because we switched studio locations. We are not uh, recording on our desk by the back door. We are recording at our kitchen table because we moved the desk by the back door and replaced it with a Christmas tree.
0: Oh, Christmas tree. We
1: did a live Christmas tree last year and we did it again this year. And even though it's a little bit more expensive, we absolutely love it. And next year...
0: Yeah, it gonna, depends on... I mean, the money all equals out, I feel next like. Next
1: year, I'm going to get my man on and get an axe. We're going to go up and find some tree to cut down. true and, act and bring of manliness. That's right, that's right. Hey, our study tip for today uh, is a simple uh, three-letter word, acronym. I don't know. not really an acronym even. For <laughs> a way to help uh, students, a way to help children become progressively involved in a lesson, and at a more personal level. So the three letters are EST, explain, share, and testify. And they represent three different levels that your child or your student can participate in the lesson. And each one becomes increasingly personal and um, increasingly challenging for him. Explain is where you ask your child to explain a truth or a principle or a scripture to you. This is a good way to gauge if they understand what you're reading, understand what you're teaching. Uh, It's pretty straightforward what you're asking. There's a right and a wrong answer. If they have the right answer, they say the right answer. If not, then you help them get the right answer and then you explain it. So something like, hey, from those verses, will you explain to me what it is that Nephi is saying? Right? That's an explain question. Share is where you ask them to share their thoughts, or to share their, uh, maybe even feelings or experiences on a specific thought. So,
0: or maybe interpretation of right. scripture.
1: So this is a little bit more personal. It's a little bit more up to them. There's not necessarily a right question or right answer to the question. And so they're they're going to take maybe a little bit more time, a little bit more effort. I just
0: want to say, be very specific and careful about the kind of questions that you ask. Yeah. Because yeah. when we fish and fish for the right answer, which we do a lot when we're teaching kids, I think it just deflates the, the lesson or the opportunity to teach in those moments. The
1: third level is to testify. This is the most personal of all. This is where you ask a student or ask a child to express their belief in a principle, to express their feelings or their testimony about a certain truth. Um, Now, the reason I bring this up is because we, of course, want our children to be able to testify. We want their testimonies to grow and to strengthen. However, a lot of times I've noticed that we will dive right in at the beginning of a scripture study at the beginning of a lesson with a testify question. And because it's so personal and so heavy, students either or or children either balk at answering it, at which point a teacher who gets antsy fills the silence with their own testimony or with something else, or else they just flat out don't answer because it's too personal and they haven't built up to it yet. There's a power in walking your children step by step through the scriptures, starting at a simple level where they explain something that they can read in the scriptures, something that's they're confident it's the right answer because it's right there in front of them to something that they can share their thoughts and maybe their analysis of to ultimately where they are challenged to express their belief or their faith. All right. I have seen this a couple of times and I have in my head, though I couldn't find the specific instance. I think it was in the 2004 Olympics. I've since found examples from other Olympics. But I remember this scene from one of the Olympics, uh, Summer Olympics on the relay race where they have four people on a race. Um, I remember this this four by 100 race where uh, If you you are familiar with the race, there's four different runners. They each run 100 meters, and then they have to hand off a baton to a person in front of them. And I've even watched YouTube videos on how to correctly grab the baton. They stick their hand up behind them. It's a no-look grab, so they hold their hand out. You run up behind them, and you're supposed to place the baton with enough force in the hand that they can grab hold of that baton and then race off without having to look back or pause.
0: Now, I... I'm no track star, but I did practice that because I was, like, in the elementary.
1: Hershey's track meet.
0: I was pretty fast in elementary school. I didn't grow after that, so I wasn't fast enough. But, well, yeah, they 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 I mean, practiced that over and over right. again.
1: And the, the image I have in my head is this, and, again, I don't remember the specific Olympics. I think it was 2004. Uh, but I know that it happened in 2008 with the men's team, and it happened in 2016 with the women's team, where they missed the handoff. It's a way, the Americans have- missed it completely they completely missed it and, and because they missed the handoff the the race is done one slight miscalculation and their race is done and i was impressed that in this race where there's so much focus on the running and the form and the stamina and the tracks and the finish line that this little tiny skill of being able to grab hold of a baton becomes so incredibly important Well, that's what was going through my head this week as I read in Moroni chapter 7 these two verses. Again, this is Moroni quoting his father Mormon, quoting a sermon that Mormon gave. Uh, And as we mentioned last episode, this sermon falls right in the middle of a bunch of depressing chapters about the end of the Nephites and, and how horrible they've gotten. So this, I'm assuming, is at a much earlier time when the Nephites aren't as bad as they used to be. Mormon in this sermon tells them this, verse 19 Wherefore I beseech of you, brethren, that you should search diligently in the light of Christ, that you may know good from evil. And if you will lay hold upon every good thing and condemn it not, you certainly will be a child of Christ. And then he asks the important question that I, we will have drive this whole episode. And now, my brethren, How is it possible that you can lay hold upon every good thing? What we want to answer today is question one, how do you know what the good things are that you should be laying hold of? Because there's a whole world out there filled with thousands, millions, billions of different choices that can be made. And two, once you have identified the good thing, how do you lay hold of it? How do you grab hold of it? As you and I were talking, we were thinking about some some even specific examples of where this might apply, right?
0: Yeah, and I think really we've wrestled with this question a lot mm-hmm. because there is some... I mean, this is a beautiful sermon, but how do you make this really practical? And I think that's why that question is just so, I guess, tricky mm-hmm. or hard to really grasp to lay hold of.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but... um but that's what we want to talk about today. So we're thinking of um, a young adult starting everything, wondering which thing to lay lay hold of. Are they married? I mean, all of those things. Do I get Marriage, married? Do I go to college? college do I go to a mission? mission? Which
1: college do I go to? Which mission do I go to? Right. How do I know which one is good and which one I should lay hold
0: uh-huh. of? Um, a mother who has so many things to do in a day. Which thing do you choose? How do you choose which service to do, which service not to do. How do you choose? Especially
1: when they're all which, good, right? They're all good right, things that we're can cho- be done.
0: We're, I mean, this is really choosing between the good things. The teenager who is trying to figure out
1: what good things are out there and the multiple options that are presented to yeah. them for the way they dress, the way they talk, the way that they act in school, the way they act with their parents. There's a thousand different answers to those questions. How do they choose the good one? How do they choose the right one and lay hold of it and grasp
0: hold of it? So that's really what we want to do in this episode is make this as practical as possible while studying these, this beautiful, this beautiful sermon. Okay.
1: okay, well, question one that Mormon seems to answer in the first 20 or so verses is, how do you know what things are good in the first place. How do you make that decision? He even uses the phrase, how do you judge? How do you judge righteous judgment? I've heard a lot of people that shy away from the idea of judgment, and yet we are commanded in Scripture here in Mormon and by the Savior himself that we are to judge. We are to, to use our power of discernment and filter between good and evil. The big question is, how do you know what's good? How do you know what's evil?
0: And some of these in verse verse 5 By their works ye shall know them. For if their works be good, then they are good also. Um, Another one I I liked in verse 9, knowing the real intent of a heart. Mm -hmm. Um, Where is is their heart? Um, And he says over and over again, especially in this chapter here. So then in verse 12, wherefore all things which are good cometh of God. And then this scripture here, verse 13. But behold, that which is of God, inviteth and enticeth to do good continually. Wherefore everything which inviteth and enticeth to do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. It's
1: a cool list. Inviteth and enticeth to do good continually, to love God, and to serve him there's your quick list of how do you know if something comes from God I invite you to do good continually to love him and to serve him
0: so the question i have that i don't really have the answer to is there's a lot of good things mm-hmm. <laughs> just like we were talking about those some of those situations i mean i think of my own life and i think ah how do i how do i really decide and i guess i thought of one um Well, first off, in just in this last, in the last women's session, actually, um, Sister Craig, the first counselor in the Young Women General Presidency, gave a talk and she used the story that I think I've heard before. So it may be familiar with you, but it's a neighbor who. Decides that she wants to give President Kimball a tie because she notices he's in a new suit and she thinks, I got this new material from the East and I want to make this tie. As she's walking up to the door, she says, Who am I to give the prophet a tie? What am I doing here? So she actually does, it says she starts to turn around and then it's quoting, Just then, Sister Kimball opened the front door and said, Oh, Susan. Stumbling all over herself, Susan said, I saw President Kimball in his new suit on Sunday. Dad just brought me some silk from New York, and so I made him a tie. Before Susan could continue, Sister Kimball stopped her, took hold of her shoulders, and said, Susan, never suppress a generous thought. So my question is, what if there are lots of generous thoughts, and you can't physically possibly do them all? How do, we, how do we do that?
1: I take a lot of comfort in uh, the next couple of verses. We read verse 13, verses 14 and 15. Wherefore, take heed, my beloved brethren, that you do not judge that which is evil to be of God or that which is good uh, and of God to be of the devil. And then verse 15. Behold, my brethren, it is given unto you to judge that you may know good from evil. And the way to judge is plain, that you may know with a perfect knowledge, as the daylight is from the dark night. I remember reading a quote once from the prophet Joseph Smith, where he said, in essence, that God holds himself accountable for his own revelations, or or better said, for you understanding his revelations. Sometimes I think we worry that God's going to say something to me, and I'm going to misunderstand it, or misreceive it, or, or not get it. And then I'm going to be held accountable for the fact that I didn't quite understand that that was a revelation coming from God. There's comfort in knowing that it is given unto us to judge and that God will help us judge with a perfect knowledge. Now, of course, there's, I think, some some clumsiness along the way as we try and sift through multiple good things in choosing better and best ones. But I do think there is a spiritual prompting that comes into a life That says, of all of these good things you could be doing, you do this one. It's the prompting, I think, that comes to a mother that says, you know, today the dishes are fine. Sit and listen to your son tell his really long winded story about school. (laughs) It's the prompting that comes to a teenager that says you could go out with your friends tonight, but tonight you really just feel like staying home with your family. Even though those are all good things, I believe that God holds himself responsible for prompting us to choose those good things, those better things, and sometimes the best things that he wants us to choose.
0: For me personally, I remember, um, I think I was a sophomore in college, I heard that quote that from President Benson, um, when we put God first, all other things fall out of their proper place fall into their proper place or drop out of our lives. It governs the claims of our affections. And I'm going to misquote it a little bit, but it, it governs what we do. Mm-hmm. And I remember really just, maybe I felt like I needed that. Mm. And so I I actually typed it up and I stuck it in my car and it s- sat there for a, f- a few years, a long time. And I look at that now and I used to have it memorized a little better than I do now, <laughs> but I look at that now and I realize like God was leading me and guiding me. Mm-hmm. And although it's, and that's kind of the struggle is, how do you make putting God first a practical thing? Mm-hmm. But when we do it, He leads us. And I, I, re- I really believe that that's true.
1: Yeah. So if that answers, at least in part, and there's more you can study, but if that begins the answer of the question of how do we know what's good? The question I asks is how do you lay hold of those good things? And maybe that's an extension of the question that you're asking. Mm Of Once you identified good things, how do you lay hold? And he teaches this beautiful sermon about faith and hope and charity. Whenever I study this, I think of in my mind a three-legged stool that is supported by one leg of faith, one leg of hope, and one leg of charity. At the end of our discussion here, I want to invite you, listeners, to consider your own three-legged stool and ask yourself, how's it doing? Is one leg shorter than the other? Do you need to strengthen one area? Are you weak somewhere else? So first, faith. Verse 25. Wherefore, by the ministering of angels and by every word which proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God, men began to exercise faith in Christ. And thus, by faith, they did lay hold upon every good thing. Now, I've wrestled with this a lot because I think faith is one of those principles that if you ask people, do you understand faith? They'll go, yeah, I get faith. And in the same breath say, I don't get faith at all. It's a really hard thing to make practical. We know that faith has action with it, that it's a verb, but I don't think anyone really understands what does it mean to faith something. I
0: can't
1: can't picture myself faith. Does it mean just to believe, to sit there and close my eyes and clench my fists and, and believe more? Because that doesn't seem powerful enough. Yeah. So as I've thought about it, I've thought this. Faith, at its basic definition, especially in the Bible, uh, is trust. It's confidence in somebody or something. So to say we need faith in Jesus Christ is nothing more or less than saying we need to trust him. And when you trust someone, you obey them. When your kids trust you, they obey you. When you trust a friend and they tell you to go here and eat food or to buy this certain cream for your face, you obey them. You go and you eat food and you buy that cream. So if I were to boil down faith in its most practical, actionable form, I would say faith equals obedience. And I love in verse 5 that Mormon refers to it as a muscle. This is something that you exercise You exercise your faith. You practice it. You're not completely 100% obedient, but you work at it. And bit by bit, you become more obedient to what the Savior is teaching and saying. So that his blessings, the good things that he is willing to give, become yours because of your obedience.
0: I like that. I just noticed here in verse 28, it says, And they who have faith in him, so trust, like Mm -hmm. you're saying, will cleave unto every good thing. Hmm. So not only are they, I mean, once you have kind of tested that faith, not only are you laying hold of it, but you're, you're thinking this really works. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I've, I know I've had those experiences. I'm sure some of you, most, hopefully most of you out there have had that where you think, no, this, this, this works, this mm-hmm. is real. I'm gonna cleave unto it, not just lay hold of it. I just kind of liked the play on words and that of like laying hold of and really holding tight to that faith.
1: You seem to build brick by brick your faith. I'm obedient to this principle and I have a testimony of it because I have seen the good things that come into my life. So once I see those good things, I'm going to cleave unto that principle or cleave unto that commandment so that I can lay hold yeah. to those good things. Yeah. I cleave unto faith so I can lay hold of good things I like the imagery. One more thought I had about faith, this is one of my favorite teachings about faith from President Packer, Uh, and Elder Bednar has taught something very similar, that there are two kinds of faith. There's a faith that is born of experience, meaning I trust God because of what he's done for me in the past. However, President Packer says there's a second kind of faith that is rare, and it's the kind of faith that causes things to happen. It's not based in the past, it's based in the future. I trust God, and because I trust him, I'm going to obey something he's telling me to do, even though I don't know what the outcome will be. I think the way to lay hold on every good thing, not just some of them, but every good thing, is to practice, to exercise that kind of faith, where you're not waiting uh, for blessings to come to you. You're proactively seeking for God's commandments as you study the scriptures, as you listen to conference, so that you can cleave unto that commandment, obey it, and be blessed with a, with a good thing until eventually you're blessed with every good thing.
0: So we all know what comes next. Faith, hope. So here in verse 40, And again, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you concerning hope. How is it that ye can attain unto faith save ye shall have hope verse 41 and what is it that ye shall have hope for behold i say unto you that ye shall have a hope through the atonement of christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal and this because of your faith in him according to the promise
1: i love this verse i love hope (laughs) Um, i've mentioned this in a couple of episodes that i've been fascinated even obsessed with the idea of optimism And as I studied this chapter, I thought, optimism really hasn't been, it's the best way I can describe it, but it's really not the best way that I think it's describable. Reading this chapter made me realize, now what I've been obsessed with is hope. If faith is a confidence in God, a trust in Him, I think verse 41 illustrates that hope is an optimism about oneself listen to verse 41 again. What is it that you shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that you shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal. So what is it that you should hope for? You should have hope that you're going to make it. You should have hope that when you look at yourself, knowledge of your flaws, notwithstanding, you can say, I am going to be raised to eternal life because of a wonderful God who showers me with every good thing and who is atoned for me. That is hope. That's the, that's optimism at its core to look at yourself and say, I'm going to make it.
0: Yeah. And I think even just with our faith in general is sometimes that's all you have mm-hmm. is the hope that something's going to work out or that something's real. Um, Cause you just are optimistic that it's going to happen or that you just really hope (laughs) i mean maybe i don't know i'm trying to decide the difference between hope and optimistic i think hope is more of like sometimes i feel like just i'm just kind of hoping and i guess it is a little i think that's the connotation
1: that it has i think that's why we shy away from talking about hope i hope i'm going to make it to the celestial kingdom we made
0: it into that haven't we
1: but i think hope is this really powerful thing where you view yourself because of your relationship with god in a positive light i like that a lot i uh I think i've mentioned this in a previous episode but if i have if you're listening just nod and pretend like it's new to you Hmm. um i will pull my students from time to time and ask them which kingdom they think they're going to go to always without fail the number one answer is the terrestrial kingdom the middle kingdom then it's sometimes a tie between celestial and telestial. now I very quickly follow up that with an understanding of what the telestial kingdom is so I can tell each of them there, you're not going there. It's for murderers and liars and none of you are murderers and liars. Yes, we all lie, but you're not a liar. So I erase for them the telestial kingdom and I say, okay, there's just the terrestrial and the celestial left. Now, you're choosing the terrestrial kingdom because you don't think you're good enough. Because you think that the best people go to the celestial kingdom and because you're not the best, you're going to go to the terrestrial kingdom. But it's called the plan of salvation, and salvation means to be saved in the celestial kingdom of God. So God's plan is for you to make it to the celestial kingdom. So when we look at ourselves and we say, well, I'm really not celestial material, I'm probably terrestrial material, you are arguing with God because he thinks you're going to make it. He is, he's bending over backwards, doing everything he can, including the sacrifice of his son to make it so that you can get to the celestial kingdom. And so I think there's a lot of power in laying hold of every good thing. One of the good things we can lay hold of is the blessings and the peace that comes to us when we look at ourselves and say, of course, I'm not perfect. And of course, I've got things to work on. But you know what? Because of a good God and the atonement of his son, I'm going to make it. So say it to yourself right now. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And my family's going to make it. We're going to be okay. And then listen and watch for what good things come into your life when you have that kind of a hope.
0: If we feel that optimistic about ourselves, then we can't help but feel optimistic about about other people's. So next comes charity. We read in verse 44, and if a man be meek and lowly in heart and confesses by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, he must needs have charity. For if he have not charity, he is nothing. Wherefore, he must needs have charity.
1: And of course, there's those great verses that follow about what charity is and how long-suffering it is. I've had a fun activity where you take the word charity out and you put your name in there and see if you can apply those those different descriptions to yourself. But I love the emphasis that you said, that once I have confidence in God, faith, and optimism about myself or hope about myself, I can't help but then extend that hope to others and have a love for them and want to help them feel the same way that I feel. So faith, hope. Charity.
0: Yeah, I love that. To think of of really that that hope is once we have confidence in who we are, I, th- I think I love the term that starts that off is that meek and lowly in heart. Mm. We're confident in who we are and who God sees us as that it's so much easier for us to love other people and to feel charity because we realize that God has this abundance that he gives to all his children and we just get to be a piece of that to spread his love and his light to other people.
1: Talk about laying hold of every good thing, anyone that's ever been involved in a charitable act of any kind. I don't know of better good things that come than when we're involved in loving and serving others. Yeah. So the evaluation for you right now then is this, you've got the three-legged stool, confidence in God, hope about self and love for others. You have to now ask yourself, how's my stool? If on top of that stool is placed every good thing that God wants to give me, how's your confidence in God? How's your hope about yourself? And how's your love for others? And if one of those legs is shorter than the others, you know what you've got to work on. To be able to lay hold of every good thing. Verse 48. Once we lay hold of every good thing, this happens. Wherefore, my beloved brethren... Pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that you may be filled with this love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that you may become the sons of God, and then this, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified even as he is pure. Amen. As good as it is to lay hold of every good thing, the ultimate goal isn't to just lay hold of good things, it's to become a good thing, like the Savior is. And so the goal of faith, hope, and charity, and the ability to discern between good and evil and lay hold of those good things is that one day when you look at the Savior, you will look at Him and He'll look at you and you'll see you've become like Him. You've become purified.
0: Thank you for being with us today in this episode 49, the second to last episode of this season. Next week we'll be back with episode 50, which will be the last of this year, the last of season 1 of our podcast, and we're going to be back explaining more about the exciting things that we have in store for season 2, which will start in January, and we are
1: we are excited. We're excited about Very what we have exciting. ahead and
0: are just Yeah, we said this last week, but we're grateful that you're here. Thank you for listening, and that's it for tonight. We'll see you, wait, we will talk to you, listen, yeah, but goodbye. (laughs)